So the big question is this. How are entrepreneurs like us, who don't cheat and manipulate people, who are spending money from our own pockets, how do we market in a way that lets us get our products and services and the things we believe in out to the world, and yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Michael Abdo, and welcome to Client Secrets. Good morning, and welcome to episode number three of Client Secrets. I am so glad you are joining me here this morning. And I am really, really excited about today's topic because I've, uh, I talked yesterday, not yesterday, but rather the, the last episode about how I personally got into the topic of personality typing and of being able to profile people based on their personality. And from that, because you're able to understand people's personalities, you're able to understand their values. You're, you're able to understand how they see the world, their point of view, their worldview. And because you know their worldview, you can understand what they value, what is important to them, right? Because when you think about human beings, one thing that we have in common, one thing that is in common for all of us is that we are in need, that we have need, right? And so, so you, you look at this, and before I jump right in, let, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. So I remember, oh man, this was going to be fall, fall of last year. I remember fall of last year. I had just, I had just uh, gotten done running my franchise over the summer. I was running a franchise. And I remember I, I had finished up my franchise and I was really I was kind of I was kind of in a hopeless state. And what what I mean by that is I just didn't have a lot of peace where I was. And and I, I didn't I didn't understand where I was or where I wanted to go, right? Because here during the summer, or earlier that year, I had dropped out. I had dropped out from college, and I had pursued my dream of becoming an entrepreneur, right? Becoming a business owner, having employees, having uh, a business, having sales, having finances, and I had undertaken all these responsibilities and I was I was looking at this and I was like this is what it means to be an entrepreneur I am going to fulfill my dream of of being free free from having to work a nine-to-five free from having to be restricted and not being able to to do to have the freedom of time with my family or the freedom to move or anything like that and what I realized 
after, let's see, it was, I ran the business from February to September. So that'd be what, seven months. What I realized in those seven months of running my franchise is that I didn't want to be this entrepreneur. And the, the dream that I had and the desire that I had had become a nightmare for me. And what I thought would bring me freedom and would set me free imprisoned me and chained me. And I remember just feeling stuck. And I remember feeling confused because all my life I, I had wanted to be an entrepreneur just like my dad. I had wanted to be an entrepreneur and have that freedom. And as soon as I got it, I was like, this is, this is trapping me. I don't, I don't want to have employees because they quit on me. And I don't want to have a large business because that means I have to put in capital and I have to, I have to buy overhead and I'm not guaranteed to get that return. And I don't want to run a business because there's a delay in cash flow and, I, and I'm stuck. And I remember all these things and I remember coming out of that and just feeling like lost where it's like my entire life I had worked towards this goal of becoming an entrepreneur. And as soon as I was given that responsibility, it failed. And I remember just looking around and being like, what do I do? Where do I go from here? And trying to understand myself and trying to learn about myself and be like, what? what's next for me? And I remember during that time, <laughs> I remember during that time, uh, I wasn't eating very well. Uh, just, just between... Um, really just not taking care of myself and and not being in a great like mental place in life uh, and spiritually just being very fragile and very weak. I remember the same thing with my body. Like I just, I just wasn't taking care of myself. And I remember like, I remember I would just, I would be on my computer so much of the day just like journaling and just writing my thoughts and trying to understand like what makes up human beings, like what makes us who we are. And I remember during that time, I remember I had heard of Tony Robbins and I had maybe listened to like a YouTube video of motivation of his or something. And I really enjoyed it. But during that time, I really like, I really dove in to what his theories were and what other people's theories were. And one of, one of the things I realized was like, as human beings, we are fundamentally needy creatures. I remember Tony Robbins saying that, like, we have needs. And I was like, I'm just not sure that's true. Like, I know I have wants and I, I like I'd like to have a wife, but I don't need to have a wife. 
and I'd, I'd like to have a nice car, but I don't need it. And I, and I, and I was trying to, I was trying to understand people always talked about values and like, you have to understand people's value and you have to understand, uh, why they value it and, and what they value so you can really understand the person. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But like, why, why do certain people value certain things? Like the things that I value aren't the same things that my brother values or that my dad and mom value or that my clients value. I'm like, I'm wrestling through this and I'm like, why do people value what they do? And I'm, I'm just, I'm fighting and like day after day, like I just couldn't, like you have so much information on what values are and how you can change your values, how you can discover your values, how you can ask people questions to help that help you elicit their values, like all these things around values, but where do they come from? How do I get the values that I have and you get the values that you have? And I remember just day after day, just feeling stuck on this question and being like, I, I don't, I can't move forward until I understand this question. And, and one day, as I was sitting there at my computer reading about this stuff, my stomach, my stomach just growled. And it, it just ached within me. And I was like, oh man, I really need some food. And I remember thinking this, I need some food. I was like, I, I value, I value food. I value food because I need it. I, I, I value food because it satisfies a physical need. And I, and, I, and I stopped and I was like, wait, so a value is something that like satisfies a need? And I was like, no, I was like, it, it can't be that. Like, could it? And I remember thinking like, well, what, what is a need then? And I, I was like, ah, a need's not a want because you can have wants, but they can change. But like needs can't change. And like, ah, I'm always going to need food. And like, I need it because if I don't have food, then I'm not going to survive. I'm like, wait, wait, if you don't have a need, you won't survive. I was, I was like, you need food because you can't physically survive without food. And you, you need water because you can't physically survive without water. And you, you need sleep because you can't physically survive without sleep. And I was like, that's why I value food and liquid and sleep. Because without these things, I would cease to exist physically. I was like, huh. But what does that have anything to do with like valuing freedom? I was like, could it be that, that it just meets a need? Like maybe not a physical need, 
but like an maybe an emotional need. And I remember thinking like, is it is it really that that we have emotional needs that if we don't if we don't have those needs fulfilled, then we go into things like depression, which is which is emotional death. It's ceasing to exist emotionally. It's ceasing to be alive emotionally. And we can still walk around and, and breathe and, and think, but emotionally, emotionally we're dead. And I thought about it and I was like, I, I value freedom because it makes me feel it makes me feel alive. Emotionally, it makes me feel alive. Like in in other people, like like that's that's how I satisfy my need. And like other people value stability and security. And like that satisfies a need of theirs. And I was like, this is a great like this makes sense and it's a great theory but is it true right like i can think about this and it can sound great and all the pieces fit together but does it hold up does it hold any water and so i remember you know like all right i just have to, to look this up and i remember researching like need based psychology and i remember listening to more of tony robbins things and sure enough, like the more I read, the more it confirmed this, that as human beings, we cannot exist in and of ourselves. If we did, we would be gods, right? Like the idea of a god is a being who can exist without any other, without dependence on any other thing. He's self-existent. But human beings depend on other things to exist. We depend on having food and sleep and water to physically be alive. And we depend, some of us depend on fruit. Well, here's the thing. I depend more on freedom than I do on stability. I still need some stability in my life. But I depend more on freedom to feel alive emotionally. And same thing, like you think about you think about people with diabetics and who need who need like with insulin and, and the sugar levels. Like we all need sugars. We all need carbohydrates. That's, that's the fuel, that's the energy of life. But some of us need higher levels of that. And some of us don't need as much. Same thing with, with fats and with, with protein. Like we all need these fundamental, these fundamental building blocks. But the degree that we need each is different. If you're larger, you're going to need higher quantities. And, and depending on 
depending on your family heritage and depending on how, how you grew up and all these different things depends on how much we need of each of these, these resources, these physical resources. And it's the exact same way with emotional resources. Like we, we all need to have a sense of significance and of being, of being independent and of being unique and of being one of a kind. We all have that need. But how much priority we place on that need, am I going to fulfill that need first before any other emotional need? Or is that going to come in the middle? Or is it going to come towards the end? That is what makes up the personality. Just like we all need the feeling to feel a part of a group, to feel loved, to feel accepted, to feel like we're, we're one of the tribe. But how important is that? How much value, priority do we place on that? Do we need that to be number one? And that's the first thing we need to feel above all else? Or is it in the middle or is it towards the, the end? And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is all, like, this all makes sense intuitively. It all fits together. Like, all the pieces fit together. This is brilliant. But then I remember thinking, like, is it true? Like, it can be a great theory, and it can explain everything, but is there evidence for it, right? Is there true, solid, practical, empirical evidence that this theory is right? And for the longest time, I would search and search and search find nothing. And I, and I would read something about like personality uh, indicator test results prove 80%. And I'd, re and I'd read this and I'd look at it and it would have great stats, but none of it would, would prove on a large scale. Either the sample set was too small or the results weren't strictly applicable to the theory that, that I had discovered. Like none of it... None of it provided empirical evidence, enough empirical evidence for what I was, what I was postulating, what I was proposing, right? Until, until last year, something crazy happened. And it, it all revolved around, it all happened around a huge scandal a huge scandal the Facebook privacy scandal and when I when I first heard about this scandal I was like oh my goodness like my account's been hacked my privacy's leaked I'm gonna have to delete my account I'm gonna have to go incognito change my identity right and it was it was huge everybody was talking about it it went to the, went to courts like, 
this is crazy stuff happening on a massive scale. But when I started to dig underneath and like how it related to personality, I realized that this is, this is way, this is way bigger than anything I could have imagined. Like this, this scandal was in the news for months, but that doesn't even scratch the surface of how, of how massive, of what global scale that this theory and, and this app, the application of the theory is going to shift the way that we do everything. Like the people who understand this theory and use it every day are going to be leaps and bounds above their competitors, above their competition, above, above everyone else. And so I'm reading about this scandal, right? And I'm freaking out like, this is nuts. All this privacy, like security data. And I'm reading more and more about this. And I realize that what the news is reporting on is the very surface level. It's like just the tip of the iceberg. But as I did more research and I discovered this company known as Cambridge Analytica. And I, I looked at the, the CEO and the, the owner of, of this company. And I, I read about this guy named Alexander Nix. Like, who is this guy? And then you, you read about this whistleblower, Christopher Wiley. And it's like, like, what is all this stuff? And the scandal, it was, it's crazy because what they were doing is they were, they were using, they're using an, an application that a researcher had developed and applied to have access for. This researcher had access to certain privileges in Facebook. And Cambridge Analytica, the business, used this application to not only get information from the users who use this application, but all of their friends and all of their friends' friends and, and just down the pipeline. And so they had, they used, they had unauthorized access to millions and millions of accounts. And you look at that and that is wrong. That is unethical. And, and that is, that is a breach of not only privacy, but of, of ethics. And the company, the company stepped over the line, over their privileges. And that's what the news was reporting on. They were like, look at this. This is crazy. You like, they cannot be breaching privacy like they are. They do not have authorization to do this. And that's what people got from the story.
But the crazy thing is that what people didn't, what wasn't reported on the news, what people didn't know is the science behind what they were doing. And the research that they were doing on a massive scale, not, not Cambridge Analytica, not the company, but the, the research department, the, the researchers that they had hired on as part, of, as part of this business. And what the researchers were doing is the application that they had created was a personality profile. And so you would come, you would use this application, you would sign in using your Facebook account, which would give this application access to everything that you liked, all of your, your comments, the, your posts, all, all sorts of these things that you, when you sign in. And so the, the algorithm had access to this information and then you took this personality test and it would profile you based on this questionnaire. So you'd answer the questions and it would create a profile for you. And it would match this profile to your digital footprint, to the things that you liked, things that you commented on, the things that you watched. And it would say, here are the things, here's your digital footprint right? And here's your personality. And it would match those together. And then it would do that for one person, and then two, and then three, and then four, and then 10, and then hundreds, and then thousands, and then tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands. Every single person who took this, this profiling test it helped this algorithm it helped this artificial intelligence get a more accurate more and more accurate picture of based on your digital footprint what your personality was and it got so good it got so good that it could i think it was like no it was 87% it was 87% accurate that if it looked just at your likes and your comments and your your digital footprint your history that it could say with 87 percent accuracy you are going to be this type of personality here are your values like concretely here is what you value here's what you fear here's what you encourage here's what makes you frustrated here's what makes you angry and they had this information and, and I want to be very clear. What they did was good. They, they were doing it for the name of, not, not Cambridge Analytica, but the researchers. They worked hard to create this algorithm and to research and implement it. What they did was good and for science. But what Cambridge Analytica did was take that algorithm and take those privileges and they ran it on a massive scale. And it went from tens of thousands of people who voluntarily took the test 
hundreds of thousands to millions of people by going through the unadministered privileges and accessing friends of friends of count. And in a matter of days, in a matter of days, they had profiled millions of Facebook users. Millions. I think the, I think the total number, no, the total number was 8.9 million, within the 8.9 million range. 8.9 million in a matter of days. That they had said, here, with 87% accuracy, here is what you value, here's what you fear, here's what makes you frustrated, what angers you. And what they did from there was continue that on a massive scale to the point where they had profiled, where they had accurately profiled the entire population of the United States of America. And you look at that and you're like, that is crazy. Just the, the, the massive amount of people that they understand what's important to them, what needs they have, how they meet their needs, what, what they value. And from there, with that information, with that information, they were able to correctly change and influence people's behavior because our behavior is based on what we value right when you're hungry you have you have a need you have a need to survive you have a need to survive physically and to meet that need you eat food now, some of us need more sugars than other people. Some of us need less protein than other people. But we, we need those resources. And because I value food, I stand up from where I am. I walk over to the kitchen. I look at the recipe book. I get the resources. I put them together. I bake this chicken pot pie. And then I eat it. Because I, I value that. And my behaviors are derived from my values, which are derived from my needs. And by understanding people's values, they were able to understand what's people's behavior. Either what they're going to do, or how they can influence what they're going to do. So for example, when looking at personality typing, one of, one of the domains that you can look up that, that makes the personality is introverted versus extroversion. And while this is a, a greatly misunderstood topic, it is one of the most intuitive ones that we as human beings can pick up on. And it's a very influential factor within our domain. Some things have have a greater influence on our personality. But I think extroversion and introversion, I think, makes up like 60% of our personality. Just the, the influence that it has on our decisions. And so by looking at 
people's introversion versus extroversion, the, the information that you have on that, if you understand that someone is introverted, you can tailor and communicate your message in a way that plays to their introversion. So rather than being loud and flamboyant and, and exaggerating, you can be mellow and peaceful and calming. And, and the, the degree that they're going to accept that information is so much more likely than something that's flamboyant and way out there. And then when you couple that with someone's with someone's uh, degree of openness, how open they are to receive new information versus how closed they are versus how um, just single single focused they are and more more closed off to new information, right? Their openness. If they're more open, then you tailor a message that communicates something new, something exciting happening, some new discovery, the cutting edge technology. But if you are tailoring your message to someone who's more traditional or more habitual and less, less open, then you tailor your message to something along the lines of continuing with tradition as we always have or influencing the importance of maintaining stability and maintaining the things that always have been. And you're able to target people on such a specific level because you understand them at such a deep level, right? And Cambridge Analytica was able to use this information and they were able to, they were actually hired by the cruise, by the cruise campaign to use this information to, to target people using Facebook advertising with messages that they knew on a fundamental level that whoever they were targeting, that they would communicate well with them. And if you look at the stats, it's, it's the craziest thing. If you look at the stats, you can see over time how Cruz went from a nobody. Like at the beginning of the election, when you had so many, when you had so, so many people in the Republican campaign. It was just a swarm of people, and Cruz was just a name among them. And you look at his name recognition at the beginning of the election, and you see it steadily increase throughout the election, all the way to the point where towards the end of the election, he was the only real competitor against Trump. And the question is, why, why is that? What? What differentiated Cruz from all these other men? And you see that he was utilizing 
he was utilizing communicating to people based on their personality. And it's it's so powerful. The the amount of research that they've been doing recently, just in the past couple months, that a recent statistic came out and said that when you use personality to when you use personality to market to individuals that it increases it increases sales it increases click rates it increases buying not by 10% not by 20% not even by 30% but by 40% a 40% increase on buying rates simply from targeting people based on their personality. So this isn't just a cool theory. This isn't just uh, a neat idea that you can use with with friends to be able to kind of have a fun time and, and get to know each other better. This isn't just something that you can use to understand your spouse better or to nerd and geek out about like, this is at the core of who we are as humans, and this will change the way that we communicate in the future. And in sales, this will change your business forever. As soon as you start using this, as soon as you start implementing this, 40% increase, immediate, like there's no and, buts, if, or ors. This is empirically proven, 40% increase in sales. I don't know of any other thing that you can implement today that will instantaneously increase your sales by 40%. I do not know of any single mechanism, any single system that you can put into place that will instantaneously increase your sales by 40%. That's how powerful this is. That's how powerful this is. And so I look at this and I say, how? How can I utilize this? And the answer is, you can utilize this anytime that you're interacting with another human being. Let me tell you a story. So I remember um, it's really important too because this story shows how easy it is to implement this, right? Because I, as I was doing this research on, on this scandal and about like about the, the history behind it and what other research has been done, I, I discovered that IBM Watson, IBM Watson actually already has a profiling tool where all you have to do, all you have to do is get someone's tweet or a text that someone wrote or any short amount of, of text, anywhere from like 300 to 500 words. And you paste it into IBM Watson's little portal. And after about three seconds, it will spit out to you 
this person's personality type. Their openness, how open they are, how extroverted they are, how introverted they are. All, all these all these scales. And then it will give you words that describe this person. This person likes philosophy. This person is into this. This person would dislike this. All this information simply from a few lines of text. It's insane. Imagine sending an email back and forth with a client. You send him an email saying, hey, I'd love to talk with you more. He responds with a few lines of text. You take that text, you copy it, you paste it, you look at that information. And you're like, I see that this guy values tradition. I'm going to speak to him on a level that values tradition. That I can, I can say, hey man, this is our business has been established for 30 plus years. And th- we've been doing it this way. It's a proven and tried method that I think you would really enjoy. And, and tailor your message according to the things that he values. That's just through text. You can do, you can send an audio recording to IBM Watson. You can do, can do video analysis through people's facial expressions and their body movements. You can have people take questionnaires themselves, like five questions, and you can you can do that. You can develop the skill yourself. So that on a whim, with anybody you're talking to, within minutes, sometimes even before they open their mouth, just as they're approaching you, you can immediately discover, you can immediately know what's important to them, what they fear, what angers them. And you can instantly communicate to them on a level that most people never will communicate to them. That's how powerful this is. So when you think about man, I'm 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 thinking about like it's it's crazy that people aren't utilizing this more. It, it blows my mind. And when I think about the potential, you can use this anywhere at any time. And that like Truly, that is how that is how powerful this is. That you can use it in any context with any person and get accurate information immediately. And that you can use it you can use it at any point. And you can develop the skill and it works. It works everywhere, every time. And I'd encourage you, like, if you're unsure, just just try, just dip your water, just dip your feet in the water, just test the waters, try it out, see what works for you. But uh, it is almost ten o'clock now, so I'm going to head in for my meeting. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us for episode three of Client Secrets. Not tomorrow, but next next episode.
we'll dive more in to how you can start learning this and using this day to day. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next episode. Until then, take care. Want more marketing secrets? If so, then go get your copy of my newest book, Client Secrets. Inside this book, you'll find my top 15 secrets that companies all across the world use to systematically skyrocket their sales by 50% or more.